The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. This message really builds off of last week's message that Pastor Nick brought, and man, wasn't that incredible. Uh, I'll be honest, I was even a little intimidated having to come up and preach after him from last week. If you weren't here, I want to encourage you to get online, get that particular CD, one of the best expositional studies of Ephesians chapter number 1, uh, 2 through 1 through 8 that I've ever heard. And so if you weren't here, uh, seriously, you're going to want to get that message. It was a huge, huge blessing, and thank you, Pastor Nick, for bringing that for us. Today I'm going to continue that with uh, a sermon entitled, I Am Now Reconciled. Uh, Have you ever been at a place in your life before where you felt just totally rejected? Uh, You ever, maybe it was at work, uh, maybe it was in a relationship, maybe it was with a a friend or even in a marriage. I remember early on when I was in Bible college, of course, I was there to uh, learn the Bible, uh, learn the scriptures, and I was excited about that. But in the back of my mind, there was a part of me that was somewhat there to maybe, if the Lord would allow, uh, find a wife. And uh, I'm not going to lie to you, that was part of the, maybe the prayer and the plan. And I literally went for three and a half years. I was in Bible college and uh, never really dated, never really, you know, found somebody that I felt like maybe was the person God had for me until one day to give you the abbreviated story. I was sitting on a bus getting ready to head down uh, to, of all things, a Dodgers game, all right? And so, and uh, this girl steps onto the bus. I'd never seen her before in my entire life. Uh, Her name was Jenny Stinson. And I remember literally the moment I saw her, there was something, I'm not going to call it love at first sight, uh, but there was something at first sight. I'll just say that, all right? And man, I just got to know her and over the next couple of weeks getting to spend some time and things. And I thought, you know what? She's the one. This is it, you know, 21 years of my life, and she's the one that I'm going to marry. And I just, I knew it. I had this peace from God, and I was absolutely sure she was going to be the one. And we, we went on a couple dates together. In fact, uh, uh, she had not been out to California before that time. And so I thought, you know, I'm going to take her to one of these places down in Southern California and have all these different, you know, activities and opportunities and things. And she had talked about maybe wanting to go to Universal Studios one time. Some of you have been there before. And so I was kind of got some friends together. We went down to Universal Studios together, had a great time. It was so much fun. Uh, then we went out to dinner at a place down in Los Angeles, a nice restaurant. It was wonderful. And then we were making our way back. And on our way back, uh, Jenny says to me, you know what? I don't think this is going to work out between you and I. <laughs> and my heart just sank. I mean, I was like, I felt so bad. I mean, I just felt like, what? No, she is the one. This is the person I'm supposed to be married to. This is my soulmate. And she's kind of like not feeling it. She's like not on the same wavelength with me. And I was absolutely devastated. I remember when she was walking to her dorm room, I was standing there and literally if there was background music, it could have been a scene out of a movie, you know, tears are coming down my face and she's walking into the dorm. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm never going to be able to, it was just unbelievable. This is the rejection that you feel in that moment. And and uh, long story short, I think most of you know the end of the story. Uh, you know, she, she couldn't handle being away, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> she came back. And, uh, and uh, you know, the, the rest is, is history. But I remember that, that time, that season in our relationship or lack thereof. Oh, David, I just felt so rejected. I felt like, oh, this is, oh, this is awful, this is horrible. And, and some of you have experienced that in that way. And, and, and for many of you, you've experienced it in much uh, more 
serious and devastating ways. Some of you have experienced that not before marriage in a dating relationship. Some of you are in your marriage and you're experiencing that in the midst of your marriage relationship. Like this person vowed a vow and it ain't happening. Some of you have experienced this with children, with parents. You thought if anybody would be there to accept you, if anybody would be there to continually, you know, uh, not reject you, surely it would be a family member. Surely it would be a parent. Surely it would be a child. And, and yet you have experienced some of your most devastating pain and rejection at the hands of those who claim to love you most. Some of you have experienced that at work. You thought you were doing a good job. You thought everything was great, and then all of a sudden you get the call in from the boss who comes in your office and says, uh, you're getting the demotion, or worse, you're getting fired. And there's just that rejection that begins to settle in. And, and I think if we were to be honest one with another, all of us have been at places in our lives where we did not, we did not feel unconditional acceptance from others. And if, if we were to be honest, there have been seasons in our lives where we have felt utter Uh, just rejection from those who claim to have our best interest in mind. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been at a place where you just felt totally rejected? Maybe it's even from a a brother or sister in Christ, somebody who's supposed to be a Christian, and you felt that rejection. And and here's kind of our theme for the study this morning, and it's simply this. I think they're going to throw it on the screens. And that is this. Christ has made us entirely acceptable from the inside out. So we would be accepted by God. Now, now don't let the reality of that just kind of slip slip through. Christ made us acceptable so that we would be accepted by God. That acceptance that we have in Christ makes it possible for us to live an overcoming life even in the midst of peripheral rejection. And that's what we're going to unpack here a little bit today. So let's just dive right into our text. Notice what the Bible says here in verse number 12 is we're going to move through the Bible passage. I hope that's okay with you. We're just kind of a Bible teaching church and we're going to go verse by verse and just see what the word of God has to say. Because if you're like me, you really could care less what some guy has to say or what some person has to say. So let's just find out what God has to say. Ephesians chapter number two, verse number 12. Here's what's going on, all right? He says, at that time, ye were without Christ. You were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. Kind of strong, weird language, but yeah, you were like aliens uh, from uh, the Jews or the people of God there. And he says, the commonwealth of Israel, and you were strangers from the covenant of promise. God made a promise to Israel that he was going to save that nation. And he says here in this passage uh, that you were strangers of that covenant. You didn't know about that covenant. You were unaware of it here in that passage. And because of that, you had no hope. You were without God in this world, and you were hopeless, and you, you were rejected. Notice verse th- 13. It goes on to say, in the middle, ye were sometimes afar off. And so here the Apostle Paul is trying to help the people here at Ephesians to understand what they were before Christ. Before Christ, you you didn't have access to the promise of salvation. 
You didn't have access to the promise of eternal life. You were hopeless. You, you didn't get to enjoy what the, the Jews had to them because of the promise that God made for them. And can I simply say this? As, as the Bible says in verse number 13, you were far from God. That's, that's what it says here. It says, ye were far off. You were distant. You were separated from God because of your sin. Can I, can I remind you of this? Before Christ... For every one of us, myself included, before we committed our lives to Jesus Christ, the Bible was very clear that our relationship with God was broken. Our relationship with God was absolutely dead. And since God is holy, since God is perfect, and since God is right, guess who's to blame? We are. We're to blame. It's our fault that our relationship with God is utterly broken and pulled apart. You say, where does the Bible teach this? Isaiah chapter number 59 verse 2 tells us that our iniquities have separated you and your God. And your sins have hid his face from you. It's our fault that there is separation between us and God. So in order to kind of lay a proper foundation for this particular sermon, we need to understand a very important term that we're going to find later on in this passage. And that is the term called reconciliation. Now for some of you that term makes sense and there might be a few of you in here and that makes no sense to you. What is reconciliation? Why does the Bible even use these big terms? What's it matter anyways? Because they're full of truth and they're full of meaning. So we're going to take some time to define them. What's it mean? Reconciliation is the act of bringing two entities together. All right? Uh, many Bible passages teach that before Christ, you and I, before we had a relationship with Christ, that we were literally enemies of God. Now, that sounds really strange and really harsh, but it is a Bible doctrine. Let me give you some scriptures. Romans chapter number five. You can write these scripture references down. Go back and study them later so you can concur with what is being talked about right now. Romans five verse 10 says, when we were his enemies, the Bible says we were his enemies. This is a fact. This actually happened. When we were his enemies, we were reconciled to God. We were brought together by the death of his son Jesus. Colossians chapter number 1 verse 21 continues this when it says, and you were alienated and enemies in your mind towards God by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled with you. Can, can I say this? Before we had Christ in our lives, we were living as enemies to God's kingdom. And many of us didn't even know it. Like for some of you sitting here right now, you didn't know that you were acting like an enemy to God before your salvation. You, you didn't know. Now others of you, you're kind of like, yeah, I knew that. <laughs> yeah, you knew what I did before. I, I was pretty, I, I knew I was living contrary to God's plan and God's will and God's guy. I knew that. But for some of you here, you're like, no, I was a pretty good person. Uh, you know, me and God were cool. And yet as you begin to study these passages before Christ, the Bible says we were acting like enemies. Literally, we were living in opposition to God's plan. We were living in opposition to God's agenda. Literally, our pride before Christ convinced us, I don't need Jesus. I'm pretty, I can do this moral thing. I can live right without Jesus. And that pride 
got us thinking and living in a way that was literally in opposition to God's plan. We, we thought in ways that were opposed to God's thinking. We behaved in ways that were opposed to God's values. And so while we on the surface kind of were like, yeah, God and I are cool. I'm not like a totally bad person. I'm not totally wicked. At our very core, we were living and behaving and acting in ways that were opposed to God's will, opposed to God's agenda, and opposed to God's kingdom, and most of us didn't even know it. We were so deceived. Our thinking, our values, our motives were being lived out in a way that was contrary to God's agenda. But let's go back to this passage. This is what's crazy. Verse 13. But now. And so the Apostle Paul says, that's who you were. That's what you used to be. But now, but now, but now that you're in Christ, but now that you've committed your life to him, but now that he indwells you, but now that you're a new creature, but now that you're not who you used to be, notice what it says. But now in Christ Jesus. He's about to say something awesome. He's about to say whatever. When you were an enemy and when you were living in opposition to him, when your mind and your motives and your values were totally in opposition to God, he says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were afar off, he says this. This is amazing. You were made nigh. You were brought close. This is unbelievable. Now, how? This verse is going to go and tell us how we were brought close. But before we, before we talk about how we are brought close, let me tell you how we're not brought close, all right? You're not brought close to God by your good works. You're not brought close to God by your moralism. You're not brought close to God by your good deeds, you're not brought close to God by your uh, spiritual performance. You're not brought close to God by your church membership. You thought, I, I got to join this church. Maybe it'll get me closer to God. I hate to tell you this. We'd love to have you join the church, but it ain't going to bring you closer to God. Because it's not being a member of a particular church. It's, it's not your moralism. It's not your behavior. It is not your spiritual performance. It's not your standards that bring you nigh to God. It's not how you dress in church that brings you close to God. It's not your music style preferences that draw you closer to God than maybe someone else. It's not our Baptist traditions that bring us closer to God. It's not our baptism that brings us closer to God. What does the Bible say? It says very clearly that sometimes when we were far, far off, we were made nigh, we were brought close. How? By our baptism, by our good deeds, by our moralism, by our traditions? No. Here's what the Bible says. By the blood of Jesus Christ. That is how we are brought nigh to the person of God. By Jesus and Jesus alone. Not traditionalism. Not preferences. Not what this person thinks or that person. But by the blood of Jesus Christ and his ultimate sacrifice on the cross of Calvary on our behalf. That is what draws us nigh to God. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. Wow. But Christ, what does it actually say? It's Christ that draws us nigh, which leads us to our first thought this morning, and that is simply this. In Christ, in Christ, we have been reconciled to God. This is unbelievably powerful. In Christ, we have been reconciled to God. We've been brought close. You who were his enemy, 
I, who was in opposition, in a spirit of rebellion against him, and I didn't even know it, but I was his enemy. I I was living in rebellion. I, I was literally living in a way that was like a traitor to God in my mind and in my life, and I didn't even know it, and yet God says, you, even when you were my enemy, when you were a traitor and when you were rebellious, he says, I, I wanted to be close to you. I think they're going to throw this on the screen just to kind of help you get a deeper understanding of what reconciliation is. And in reconciliation, the sinner stands before God as an enemy and a traitor to him. But through Christ's sacrifice on the cross, we became God's friends. Wow. Let that sink in for just a moment. In reconciliation, the the sinner stands before God, has nothing to offer. Whether they realized it or not, they were living in opposition to God. They were living in rebellion in their thinking and in their living and in their motives. And a lot of times people didn't even know it. But according to the authority of the word of God, that's exactly what was happening. And yet God loves us to a degree and loves us to an extent that says, even in the fact that you were an enemy, even though you were opposing me, even though you were a traitor to the kingdom of God, he says, I loved you, I pursued you, and I desired reconciliation with you even in that moment. Wow. That's what God did. He desires us. And literally, didn't just say, okay, I forgive you. I know you were wicked. I know you were rebellious. I know you were my enemy. But I forgive you. It's not just like he forgave us. He took it a step further and said, I want you to be my friend. I want you to be my child. I want to adopt you. I want you to to divide with me. I I want you to live in my home. I want you to be part of my family. Wow. I know this is an extreme example, but could you imagine bringing in an ISIS member into this room? And not only saying, I forgive you in repentance, but if you repent, we'll forgive you. Because we want reconciliation with you. Can you imagine that young 18, 19 year old and adopting him into your family. Wow. I'm gonna say this, as extreme as that example is, it is nothing compared to what we were to God. And if that rubs you the wrong way and you're like, no, it can't be like that. I'm just here to say, maybe you don't actually understand where your sin placed you in your relationship with God, maybe. Because even as extreme and crazy as that example is, it's nothing compared to the opposition that we were against a holy, just, and righteous God. And yet, as his enemy, he pursued us. He loved us. He wanted to make us part of his family. Wow. Like, I can't even comprehend that. Like, I can't even get my mind around that. Yet that's exactly what this passage is teaching. Verse 16 goes on to say this, and that he might reconcile both unto God by the 
cross. He reconciled us by his cross. That's what allowed us to draw near into the very near presence of God. It was what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. Can I say this? God made war with the very forces of darkness. He stormed the gates of hell to restore unto himself, uh, to restore us unto himself by sacrificing his son Jesus Christ for us. That's how much God wanted to reconcile with us. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5 verse 19 continues this thought when it says, God was in Christ. We could stop right there and preach a whole message, but we'll keep going. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not putting their trespasses and sin upon them. What an incredible, glorious truth. That's what Christ was doing. He was reconciling us unto him. Notice next. This verse is literally teaching us that in our sin and in our rebellion and in our wickedness and in our arrogance and in our pride and in our shame, God initiated the promise and the process of reconciliation with me. What a wonderful truth. Notice the next screen. I want to I remind you, I, I don't know if you think about this very often. It overwhelms me to think that God... The God who could have anything he wanted wants me. Now, maybe you have this view of yourself and you're like, man, of course God wants me. <laughs> why, why, why wouldn't he want me? Because we don't really understand that in our thinking, our behavior, and our motives, we, we were living and acting and, and living in opposition to God's kingdom and God's agenda. And yet he wanted us in that moment. In our sin, in our rebellion, our wickedness, arrogance, pride, and shame. God wanted reconciliation. He wants me. Can I say, he's not embarrassed by me. And he's not embarrassed by you. He's not tired of you. He's not sick of you. He's not ashamed of you. He's not exasperated by you. He's not impatient with you. You see, God made it possible to be reconciled with him. And when we come in a spirit of humility and repentance, there's the opportunity for us to be reconciled with God. And even though I'm rejected him in the past, he's accepted me in the present. Because of this, I'm no longer a reject. I am fully accepted in Jesus. Praise God. God, wow, I was his enemy. He didn't just forgive me. He made me his friend. He adopted me into his family. What an incredible truth. Um, so as we read the first part of this passage, it's really trying to lay out the foundation all the extent that God went to to reconcile us to himself. But then he kind of transitions in the middle of the passage that Pastor Nick just read, and he starts to go through a transition. And I really want you to set up what's going on here, so let me kind of back up for a second and give you some context. The Jews and the Gentiles had a hard time getting along with each other. There was racial division there. You say, wait a second, I thought racial division was just something that happened recently. No, racial division has been around for a long time. And it existed back even in these Bible days within the church. Wow, can you think of that, all right? And so Paul, in part, writes the book of Ephesians to help address some of the racial tension that exists in the book of Ephesians in the city of Ephesus, all right? The Jews and Gentiles, they were racially divided, they were theologically many times divided. They were culturally divided. 
Uh, in fact, and, and they might even have a picture of this, archaeologists have found one full copy and also a fragment copies of inscriptions. They, one was in Latin and the other one was in Greek. And it was designed to warn Gentiles. Gentiles simply means non-Jews, all right? So technically most of us would be Gentiles because we're non-Jews, all right? And so they found this entering the temple in Jerusalem. And it was an inscription here and, uh, in Latin and Greek. And, and here's what it read. This, this was literally on the plaza wall of the temple. No foreigner is to go beyond the plaza of the temple. So there was an outside plaza. If you were a foreigner, if you were a Gentile, you could go there. This, this is crazy. Whoever is caught, whatever foreigner is caught doing so, will have himself to blame for his death, which will follow. Wow. How do you think people would feel if we put that on the front of our church? Hey, if you're not like us, don't bother coming in. Because you'll probably die. And it'll be your fault. That's like crazy. That's basically the sign that they had a, you know, man, no guest services, welcome center, you know, free coffee for visitor. I mean, just like, that's it. You know, you're not one of us, get out of here. I mean, there was some tension that existed. And that tension continued into the city of Ephesus because on the one hand, the Jews in Ephesus, they felt like they were God's chosen people. Like they had, they got, they, yeah, maybe other people go to heaven, but we got this, we got a special place. We're, we're better. We're more important. We, we're God's favorites. And then over here, you got these Gentiles and they're like, we're enlightened. We're brilliant. We got this world figured out, technology. We're advanced. And they're like sitting here thinking, man, look at these Jews. They're kind of, you know, we're the ones that really have, we're experiencing the blessing of God. And so all of a sudden, even within the church, there was this, these, there was these schisms that always came up. And if you read through the Pauline epistles, you find them coming up pretty regularly, which is why one of the themes in the New Testament is unity. But unity doesn't happen because I say, hey, ma'am over here, I want you to make sure this lady here, get together, be nice, be happy, give each other hugs, sing kumbaya, and let's all go on our way and be good, all right? Unity doesn't take place that way. You see, unity happens when someone fully, deeply is convinced of the fact that God stormed the gates of hell and went to the cross when you were his enemy and made you his friend when you least deserved it and and that the God of the universe would step down and rescue you and reconcile with you and that, then you, by his grace, can reach out in a spirit of reconciliation towards someone that you don't get along with. If God can reconcile with you, God can reconcile through you. That's that's what's happening here. So notice verse number 19, as we keep reading through our text. Now therefore, so the Apostle Paul, he's speaking about the racial tension that existed. He says, I'm gonna tell you, now that you've been reconciled to God, she's been reconciled to God, and she has been reconciled to God. He has been reconciled to God, and he has been reconciled to God. They and those have been reconciled to God. Now, let me tell you what's going on. Now therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners. God made you a new creature. You are now something different, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. And so literally, Paul stands up and says, hey, I know you're a Gentile, but you're no different than the Jew. You're the same. You're one. 
I know you're white, you're black, you're this, you're that. National ethnic backgrounds, political backgrounds, social economic backgrounds, all these different backgrounds. And God says in Christ, there's a oneness that exists in him. Galatians chapter number three, verse 28 says it this way. There is neither therefore Jew nor Greek. God says we're no longer gonna be defined primarily by our ethnic heritage. He says neither there is bond or free. So basically he says, now we're no longer to be going to be primarily defined uh, by our economic socio status in this world just because you're rich and you're poor that doesn't make you any different in the eyes of God he goes on to see neither male nor female literally in the Bible there was gender equality in a world for so many decades and so many years where women were inferior to the men the Bible has always propagated a theology that says there is no difference they're equal at the cross and from the very beginning of time there has been an equality that has been found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet we're not too far removed from a lot of this segregation, aren't we? I mean, we're like like one generation from, you know, so much of the segregation that took place in in the South. I mean, it's just not that far removed. Some of you are more acquainted with it than others, the the racial tension that exists. I mean, we're like only two or three generations removed from the fact that you ladies couldn't vote. Like, hey, guys, dudes, you, yeah, run out to the ballot. Ladies, eh, doesn't really matter. Get back to the kitchen. Make me a plate of cookies. That, that was like kind of like the, that, that was kind of the way it is. And, and, and since literally the beginning of time, Bible's come along to know. There's not Jew, there's not Greek. It's not, about your, it's not about your ethnic heritage or background. That's not your primary defining identity anymore. It's not primarily about your socioeconomic status anymore. That's not your primary identity anymore. It's, it's no longer about whether you're male or you're female. We are now one in Christ. Equality and peace and unity, can I say this, is only gonna be found when people get back to the gospel. There are people running around this world and they're trying to bring racial equality back together and they're trying to do this. I'm gonna say, and they, they're well-intentioned and they mean well, but I am firmly convinced to the, to, the, to the deepest part of my soul that it is only as people truly understand the gospel, the reconciliation that they have with Almighty God, that true racial kind of connection and peace and harmony can really take root deep in a society. Because as long as people do not understand the gospel, there is no foundation for equality in the world in which we live. Racial tension will always exist in a society that is removed from understanding the deep tenets of the gospel of Christ. And that's what Paul's addressing here. And so maybe you came in the church and you're like, what's, what's this 2,000-year-old book have anything to do with what's happening right now in America? And I'm here to say it has everything to do with what's happening right now in America. And it has not just, it doesn't just pose the problem, it gives a solution. And the solution is Jesus. It's neither bond nor free, male, female, rich or poor, one in Christ. Which leads us to our next thought this morning, our final thought, and that is this. Yes, we have been reconciled to God in Christ. But I want you to notice, too, as we're going to see in the latter part of this passage, we have been reconciled for others. We have been reconciled for others, okay? This, this is what it's saying here. There's no more Jew. There's no more Greek. There can be unity here among the brethren, all right, 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, verse 18 says it this way. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. Notice this, I love this. And given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Here's what the Bible is saying. 
Since the God of the universe, the creator of all that there is, the sustainer of all that there is, the owner of all that there is, when you were acting as an enemy and you didn't even realize it and you were at enmity and you were opposed to God's agenda and his thinking and his values and his plan, he still loved you anyways and he still pursued reconciliation and he still pursued peace when you were living in his enemy and he didn't just forgive you. He didn't just kind of wink and say, okay, no big deal. He didn't just kind of bring you over for dinner. He literally sat you down and said, would you be part of my family? Let's not be enemies. I love you. I want reconciliation with you. And because God was willing to do that, not only does he reconcile to us, but then he gives us a gift. And he says, now I give you the gift. I give you the ministry. I give you the opportunity of reconciliation with others. Wow. So now you, brother in Christ, and you, sister in Christ, you've been given an opportunity to become a minister of reconciliation with people you don't like. So I don't want them to get saved. I don't even like them. And you have an opportunity to present to them the reconciliation that they can have with Christ so that you can reconcile with each other. You've been given the ministry of reconciliation. You see, the God who reconciled with you wants to reconcile through you. And so if you're a couple here today and you're struggling in your relationship, God's giving you the opportunity to pursue reconciliation even when you deeply believe she doesn't deserve it or he doesn't deserve it. God says, no, you are not forgiving and reconciling with them because of their performance. You are reconciling and pursuing reconciliation because of what God has already done for you. And it is that motivation and it is that drive that brings you to a spirit of seeking reconciliation with others, not their performance, not their behavior, not their attitude, not their look. It is Jesus that drives and Jesus that now can motivate you to seek reconciliation with those that are difficult to reconcile with. Why? Because we have been reconciled not just by God, but we have been reconciled for others. Um, they might throw this on the screen. But when we really believe, and, and it consumes us, when I, when I really believe that I have been fully reconciled to God, and I, let me use a metaphor here, and my acceptance tank is full because of Christ. Now, let me, let me unpack this for a moment. When you are totally every day waking up and you are reminding yourself that I am fully accepted in Jesus, that I cannot be any more accepted, I can't be any more loved, I can't be any more forgiven, I can't be any more reached than I am right now, and your heart and your emotional acceptance tank is so full because you are so focused on the reconciliation and the love and the forgiveness that you have of God, you see, I no longer have to close off my life to protect my heart from rejection. This is key. Because you're not looking for that acceptance. You're not looking for that reconciliation from somebody else. You've already got it from God. Your heart's already full. You're already emotionally stable in Christ because you're feasting at the spigot of his grace daily, moment by moment. And your heart tank is so full that now you can enter into relationships not trying to get something out of it. Not trying to get acceptance, not trying to get love, not trying to get forgiveness, not trying to get reconciliation. You can enter into that relationship knowing that you already have those things and now you're free to give. You're free to reconcile with others who don't deserve it because you've got what you need. You don't need it from that spouse. You don't need it from that boss. You don't need it from that person down. Why? Because you already have it. You already possess it in the person of Jesus Christ. And so now your interaction with other people is totally different. I don't enter into a relationship with somebody trying to get something out of it. 
manipulating and yelling and frustrated because they owe me. I'm, I'm their spouse. I'm, I'm their employee. I work for No, you've got what you need in Jesus because you have been basking and bathing in the acceptance, the love, the forgiveness, and reconciliation that is already yours in the person of Jesus. Your heart tank is full. Your emotional tank is full. And now you can enter in to difficult relational transactions, emotionally stable and healthy because you have what you need. I don't have to protect my heart from rejection because guess what? I've got all the acceptance I need in Jesus. I'm good. This is not just psychological babble. This is what God says is true. And so when you enter into a relationship, I can't can't reconcile with that person. She doesn't meet my demands. She doesn't do what I say. She makes me feel bad. Why? If you were so full of the love and acceptance and appreciation of Jesus, you would need the little water drops of their acceptance because you are feasting on the flood of his love, you'd be full. Simple illustration, but you know, after Thanksgiving, when you are so stuffed, you've been there before, or is it just me? You're just like stuffed. I can't eat another thing. In that moment, you can come up to me and tempt me with all my favorite foods in the world, and guess what? I'm gonna be cool. I don't need it. I'm full. See, it's the same way with God's grace. When I am so feasting on his grace and I'm so indwelt with his reconciliation, his love and his peace, I can enter into a difficult relational transaction and I'm not trying to get anything from it. In fact, I don't need anything from it. If they love me, so be it. If they hate me, it doesn't matter. I got Jesus. He's given me everything I need in him. I've got it. I'm good. See, this is, this is so important to our interpersonal relationships. And this is, this is killing, this, this reality is killing some marriages in this room. And it's killing some relationships in this room. Because there's two guys, or there's two ladies, or there's two couples, or there's a husband and a wife, and there's a kid and a parent, a parent and a child. And because you don't understand what you already have in Christ, you run around in all your relationships, there's drama, 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 because you are trying to get something out of it that God never intended for you to get out of it because he wanted you to get acceptance and get love and get forgiveness and get reconciliation from the flood of his love. But as long as you're not experiencing it and living in that, guess what? You're going to run to a thousand places smaller than Jesus to try to get it from. And it will fail you every time and you'll live life miserably. And Jesus says, I want you to have something better than living miserably. I got something better for you. I no longer need to demand acceptance in my earthly relationships with others because I have all the acceptance I need and more in Jesus. So hey, if my kids give it to me, that's a cherry on top. And if my wife gives it to me, that's a cherry on top. And if you like me or if you don't like me, guess what? It's okay because Jesus loves me and Jesus loves you. Should we sing now? (laughs) Jesus loves me, this I know. Why? For the Bible tells me so. He says so. It's true. I'm I'm not going to get all ruffled. You know, 99.99% of the time my wife is, she's incredible. And like 10% of the time, I'm pretty incredible too. (laughs) Maybe nine. (laughs) But guess what? When she's not being incredible, I can still be emotionally stable. When God's grace, she's allowing God's grace to pour through her toward me. Wow, that's awesome. But when it's not, guess what? I can still be emotionally stable because I still got it coming from Jesus. So I don't have to attack her. 
You're my functional savior. You're supposed to make me happy and satisfied and make my life awesome. No, that's not what that God, God put a spouse in your life for. He put a spouse in your life, maybe, to make it a little more difficult so you could learn to rely on Jesus. <laughs> Woo! Man, we got to preach it now. I'm, t- I'm serious. My friend, your marriage is not given you for your happiness. It is given to you for your holiness. And until you figure that out, your marriage will be so rough. God-ordained marriage... Not the world, not the government, God did, and it was not for your happiness. Now, thank God, there's a lot of happiness that comes through in a lot of marriages. Praise the Lord. But it's for your holiness. And until you really understand that, you're going to struggle in your marriage. Um, I want to say this. We are now free. We are liberated and able to seek relational restoration with those around me by grace through faith, regardless of their behaviors toward me, because I already have all the access to the acceptance I need by my continually abiding in the new realities of my relationship with Jesus. I've got what I take. And you know what's crazy about this? When we really understand that this is my new identity, I'm accepted, I'm loved, I'm forgiven, I'm reconciled, I was his enemies, but now I'm his friend and I'm his family. And when we dwell in that and bask in that, guess what? That identity starts to change our behaviors. And guess what? It starts making, it starts changing things in incredible ways. We have some people in this room right now and you get it. It's amazing that as you understand that all your acceptance is in Christ, you've been able to love your spouse. And and to be honest, your your spouse honestly at times hasn't deserved it. And yet you've been able to love them because you understand this reality. And it's amazing to watch. And it's so important. There's others of you. And and yeah, that lady or that guy on the other side of the auditorium, their personality doesn't really jive with your personality. But because you understand this, that your acceptance and your love is found in Christ, you don't enter into those relational transactions trying to get something from them, trying to demand something from them, trying to make them be something that they wouldn't otherwise be. You can just enter into it to love them. No strings attached. Unconditional love. And whether they give you something or don't, it's irrelevant. Because your acceptance is found in Jesus. Man, these are unbelievable. You guys are doing such an incredible job loving one another. The Bible says, this is how all men will know you are my disciples, by the love that you show one to another. When it's hard, it ain't easy. God knows that. But that's why it's so, whoa, when the world sees it. Wow. That that couple, they're nothing alike. How are they getting together? How are they getting along? That marriage, I thought it was doomed for failure. What in the world? And yet God... Because there's two people who understand their acceptance and love and their satisfaction, their significance, and their ability to survive is not anchored to their spouse. It's anchored to Jesus. And all of a sudden, you look around and there's a whole church filled with people and they're like, wow, they are, they are liberated to love, to serve, to give in those ways. I don't, I don't know if they have this on the screens, but when we truly acknowledging, when we're truly acknowledging Christ's willingness to reconcile with us in our lives, then our points of differences, this is good, don't have to become our points of division. This is important. When we really get what we're talking about right now, our points of differences don't have to become our points of division. In a marriage, our points of differences no longer have to be points of conflict and re- division. We can work through them, we can engage them, but it's not where our identity is not rooted to them, our satisfaction is not rooted to them. In our, in our church, points of differences. Well, I kind of think that. I kind of think the points of differences don't have to become points of division. This is my taste, and, and that's my preference, and I like this, and I like that. Our points of divi- our, uh, dis, uh, uh, differences don't have to become points of division in our marriages, in our families, in our church. Now that the acceptance flows to me from Christ, it can flow through me 
So here's my question as we kind of wrap this thing up. As you are reconciling with God, Paul was standing up and he was trying to help the church at Ephesus, the Jews and the Gentiles reconcile with each other. And he started by helping them realize God was willing to reconcile with you when you were his enemy. So here's my question. How is the spirit of God wanting to lead you to reconcile? Who is it? Who is it that you need to seek reconciliation with? Somebody who's just driven you nuts. Somebody that you're so different. Then it's not that they're bad or you're bad, but you're just so different that you just can never get along. There's no peace between you. And you're both Christians and you're both part of a church. And you, but you like to always take the moral high ground, like you're somehow superior to them because of, and, and it's just time to be humble and let it go and seek reconciliation and be like, you know what, maybe we'll never be the best friends in the world, but hey, we can live at peace in Christ. Who, who is it that God's leading you to seek reconciliation with? It's possibly in this room a marriage. And, and happy marriage, man, you just, if you could just survive your marriage, you'd be happy. And you're, God's help, wanting to help you realize that you're looking for something in your spouse that you're not meant to be looking for in your spouse. He did not give you your spouse to be your satisfaction, your significance, your ultimate functional savior. He gave you a spouse to help grow you in holiness. What is it? Who is it that God wants you to reconcile with? Now, let me encourage you with this thought. God never asks us to reconcile with anyone that he hasn't already paid the ultimate price to reconcile with himself. Get that. He doesn't ask you to reconcile with anybody that he hasn't already been willing to die for in order to reconcile with them himself. So that means that person that you're kind of having struggles with, God says, listen, I know it's going to be hard for you to reconcile and reach out to them, but it's okay. I already died shed my blood, went to a cross so I could reconcile with them. And so now I want to reconcile through you. God would never ask us to reconcile with someone that he hasn't already paid the ultimate price to reconcile with himself. Can you even imagine a world where, there's, where you're no longer controlled by bitterness and you're no longer controlled by resentment and you're no longer controlled by hurt and you're no longer controlled by frustration because some of you, that's your world and God came along to free you from that and it's not gonna be free because you try harder and you pull up your bootstraps. It's gonna happen because you recognize what you have in Christ, his acceptance, his love, his forgiveness and his reconciliation that is yours in Jesus. It's only as you're overwhelmed with the acceptance that Christ offers that you'll become a minister of reconciliation towards others. You want to be, you want to, you want to build peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, the Bible says. It's not going to happen because you try harder. Well, I'm just going to make it happen. It doesn't work that way. You'll fail. It's only going to happen as you are so obsessed with the reconciliation that Christ made on your behalf. You get so obsessed with that. You get so amazed by that. You get so wowed by that incredible reality. And all of a sudden, you'll find that reconciliation flows as you are convinced of the reconciliation you have already in Christ. You say, what's the big idea? You're accepted. That's it. You've been reconciled with. You've been reconciled with. Now, I'm going I'm to take it a step further. Even when you fail and let God down, praise the Lord that your reconciliation isn't anchored, is anchored, I should say, is anchored to Christ's performance and not your performance for Christ. Your reconciliation is not in jeopardy. Let that sink in for a while. You've been reconciled with Okay, and then lastly, if you're not in Christ, if you're here today and you're like, I don't have that type of relationship with God in Christ, then I'm, gonna, I'm going to say what Paul said 
to the people at Corinth. And he said this, Paul says, we implore you on Christ's behalf. This is 2 Corinthians chapter number five. Paul says, we implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. I know you don't know it. I know you don't even mean it. But your mind and your thinking and your behavior and your motives, you're in opposition to God if you don't know Christ as your savior. You're literally siding with the enemy. Your pride is telling you you don't need Christ to be what your life wants to be. And that pride is causing you to live in opposition to God's agenda and God's kingdom and God's plan. And in doing so, you've inadvertently become his enemy. And you have no peace. You get, you get glimmers of peace when you can make your circumstances work out the way you want. Then you think you have, it's like pseudo peace. All your circumstances are working out the way you want. And so you feel like, I feel good. It's not real deep peace that can sustain you in the midst of tumultuous trials and difficulties and craziness in your marriage and your life and your world. It's this, it's this circumstantial type of peace that as long as you can control everybody around you and everybody around you does exactly what you want them to do, then you can have peace. That's not peace. Real peace is when there's storms and there's trials and there's difficulties and there's pain and there's messiness and you have the peace of God which passes all understanding. That is possible in Jesus and you don't have that apart from Christ. All you can hope for is to control and manipulate your circumstances and the people in your life to behave just like you want them to behave. And if, if, if you're powerful enough and strong enough and mean enough and angry enough, then you can control everybody enough to get them to do what you want them to do. And, and then you'll, you'll have the pseudo peace. And I'm just here to say, it's weak. You can have something better. A peace that passeth all understanding. When your spouse is behaving and when she is not, when he's behaving and when he is not. When the church member looks at you right and shakes your hand and when they snub you like you're nothing and walk out the door, you can have the peace of God that passes all understanding. That's made possible to you in the person of Christ. And if you don't know Christ, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So Are you fully and regularly reminding yourself of the incredible privileges that you have in being accepted and reconciled in Christ? I want to encourage you practically every day to remind yourself of the beauty of the gospel. That even when you were his enemies and didn't even realize that he desired you and he loved you and he pursued you and he wanted to offer you forgiveness because he loves you and remind yourself of that every day. Don't ever take that for granted because the moment we start taking that for granted, we stop becoming ministers of reconciliation because we forget what we were before God. Who is it that God wants you to reconcile with today? Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.